Good evening, everyone. We're broadcasting live, April 28th. Tonight's talk is about reverence. This uh, monk comes and asks the Buddha, He asks him two questions, actually. This quote only gives one. But he says, Ko nu ko bante he tu ko pachayo yena tathagate parinibhute saddhamo na hoti. What is the cause? What is the reason? Uh, <clears throat> by which when the Tathagata has entered into Parinibbana, the good Dhamma doesn't last long. Doesn't last. So this, this quote only has does last. The, the next question is, what is the cause, what is the reason why it does last long? Jiratitikohoti. And the Buddha, this is from the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Sevens. And so it's a list of seven things. Seven things that when, when you pay respect to them, reverence. Uh, the word is uh, garawa, sagarawa. And gara, gara means uh, heavy or garu. Garu means heavy. Uh, garu actually, the word guru in Sanskrit. Guru means teacher. But the, uh, I believe the, the origin is from the word heavy. And so garava means to take something seriously. If we if we uh, appreciate and think of as worth something, so we worship in a sense, in a literal sense, we place in a we place worth on these things. then the Dhamma will last long after the Buddha goes, the Buddha disappears. Because when the Buddha is around, he's you know, Satta Deva Manusana, he's a teacher of all beings. He's the unexcelled teacher, unexcelled trainer. Uh, so when he's around, there's no question, the Dhamma will last. When he's gone, however, what we've got left is well, the Arahant disciples of the Buddha, and then they pass away, and then there, hopefully, more Arahants come. Yeah. The question is, what keeps the lineage going? What keeps the chain going? And so, it's suttas like this that are of int great interest to those of us in in later generations, 
because it gives us an idea of how we support not only our own practice, but how we uh, carry on the legacy of the Buddha, pass on the legacy to future generations as well. How we take, uh, take what was given to us and cherish it and nurture it and keep it alive. It's like we're given a, a, a seed to a great tree and it's up to us to plant it and to cultivate it for future generations. The Dhamma is like that, it's something, or it's like a fire. In ancient times, in cave time, in, in ancient, ancient times, they had to carry a, carry a coal with them from campfire to campfire. easiest way to keep fire was to carry something and if the fire went out then you're in trouble you had a fire carrier I read a story about it once anyway yeah you have to we have to care for the Dhamma so what are the how do we care for the Dhamma what are the ways by which we ensure that This teaching will continue. So the Buddha gives seven things. We take these things seriously and appreciate them. And in a sense, worship them. But worship, not in the way we use it, just assign it some worth. And of course, the first three are the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. The first one is the Satta. Satta means teacher, but in Buddhism, it usually refers to the Buddha. And here, that's what it refers to. It's a special word that uh, is generally only used for the Buddha. But it literally means teacher. Something like teacher. And so if, if we a, a monk or a, a bhikkhu or a bhikkhuni a male or female monk or Vasaka or Vasika, a male or female lay disciple. It's just anyone who's a man or a woman and anyone who's in between, anyone at all. If they do not take the teacher seriously and uh, assign worth and appreciation to the teacher, or the Dhamma, or the Sangha. They do not dwell agarava viharanti. They dwell without reverence, without appreciation, without taking seriously. And then the fourth is Sikha, Sikha, uh, Sikhaya. This, the training, Sikha. Sikha means the training, so the training in, in, uh, in a general sense, the training in giving up craving, training to give up, uh, and and the training in the in morality, the training in. 
and concentration and and wisdom but here specifically just the 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 act of the things that we do like practicing meditation and keeping precepts so the things that we do and the things that we don't do we abstain from certain things and we take on certain behaviors certain practices just the training and the learning studying listening to the dhamma remembering the dhamma reciting the dhamma thinking about the dhamma all of these things this is all the training that we go through taking that seriously if we don't take that seriously and number five is samadhi we don't take concentration seriously the buddha spells it out explicitly concentration samadhi is uh, samadhi is an interesting word it could just mean focus you know samas is like same uh, it means level or even so not too much not too little when your mind gets perfectly focused that's why it's kind of like focus rather than concentration because it's like a camera lens. If you focus too much, it gets blurry. Too little, also blurry. You need perfect focus and then you can see. So your mind has to be balanced is really what samadhi is all about. People think of samadhi as being concentrated, so no thoughts, uh, focus only on one thing, no distractions, but it's not necessarily that. It just means the mind that is seeing things clearly, the mind that is focused on something as it is in that moment. You don't have to block everything out and just concentrate on a single thing. You have to be focused on whatever arises clearly, seeing it clearly. That's why we use this word when we say to ourselves seeing or hearing or rising, falling. We're trying to focus. Focus means uh, on, on this, the core of it. The core of this is rising or whatever rising means. This is falling. Core of seeing is seeing. Core of pain is pain. But there's no judgments or reactions or anything. Get rid of all of those. And number six is Appamade Agarva Viharanti Appatissa. Appamada. Appamada is uh, the last words of the Buddha is that we should cultivate Appamada. Appamada comes from the, the root mud. Mud means to be drunk. Pamad is like really drunk. And ba is just a prefix that modifies it, that augments it. So pamad is is uh, like uh, negligent or intoxicated, or mixed up in the mind. Pamada is to be clear-minded. To be unintoxicated, to be sober. 
So not drunk on lust or drunk on anger or drunk on delusion or arrogance or conceit. To not be drunk on any of these emotions. So we should take that seriously. We should appreciate that. If we don't appreciate that, that's what the Buddha says. And the seventh one is quite curious. Um, but uh, curious in a good way. It's just um, surprising, I think. It's not what you'd expect as the last one. Patisantara. Ajahn, my, my teacher talked about it. You know, he, he mentions this. Uh, many times the Buddha talks about Patisantara. Patisantare garava. Patisantare agarava. If we don't take seriously or appreciate Patisantara. Patisantara is, um, I don't quite know the etymology, but it, it means uh, hospitality. Or uh, it could mean friendliness, it could mean goodwill, friendship. But it's really just hospitality when you welcome people. But in this context, it makes perfect sense, right? If you have a meditation center where you don't welcome people, where when someone walks in, they they don't know. Uh, everyone looks at them, kind of, what are you doing here? Sometimes you go to a monastery and 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 no one wants to talk to you. Go to a meditation center and maybe no one. Everyone's, if people are kind of uh, putting on airs like that they're real meditators or something, or if they just don't care and they're just concerned about their own practice. That if that if such a place existed, then how would you ever sh share? How would you ever, how would that ever lead to spreading the Dhamma? Oh, I've heard, you know, this, there are places where you go into the office, the meditation center office, and they just yell at you or something. They, they they look down upon you, or they you know don't know how to deal with people. And I've seen I've talked with other people in Chom Tong, the the people in the office would rotate, and so you had to catch the right, the right person in the office, or you never know what was going to happen. You want to book a room for someone, and maybe they yell at you, and maybe they're very nice. So you have to find the right person and talk to them. It's very important. So it's something for us to remember. We have to welcome. And uh, in general, you could talk about this. Something I was thinking about is it'd be neat um, someday, you know, if our if our community gets, if our community grows, uh, if we could have uh, groups of people, you know, like uh, maybe once a week, we could have kind of a more formal online session and uh, if, if someone was organizing a group in their home then they could they could uh, join the hangout with their group wow wouldn't that be neat that's what we should do 
once a week. We could do once a month to start. Uh, we have groups of people. In you know, someone puts together a group in their home in their home, and people come to their home, and they join the hangout. And we could have up to ten groups. And we have to talk about that. That's, so the idea is to welcome people even into your home, you know. You set up a Dhamma group. People do this. They have a Dhamma group in their home. They've got space. Uh, and then uh, they set up. They, they, you know, sometimes they just meditate together. Sometimes they listen to a talk. I know Dhamma groups that just... Uh, put on some CD or something, you know, somebody giving a talk and everybody listens and then they do meditation together. So, but we could do uh, something like that, but it could be live, you know, live from all over the world, 10 different groups. That's the maximum. You can have 10 people in the hangout. So if anybody's interested in setting up a Dhamma group, uh, let me know. And we'll try and arrange something where we meet together like this, but we'll have a special day where uh, I'll give a real talk, I'll give a, I'll give a longer talk, and then uh, we'll connect. Right, so those are the seven, that's one list of seven things that lead to lead to the Dhamma lasting. You know. So if we don't spread it, if we don't share it, if we're not welcoming of people who want to learn. You know, the Buddha wasn't big on, on spreading the Dhamma in terms of going around teaching people. But much more about, well, as far as I can see, much more about welcoming people who wanted to learn. If people wanted to learn, it was all about finding ways to accommodate them. Or if they do come, if they don't come, don't have to go out of our way looking for people. We're not trying to uh, push, you know, push it this on anybody. That's kind of how beautiful it is. We don't need students. We're not looking for students. We're just people who are looking for it. We open the door for them, provide them the opportunity. Tonight a woman came to visit. She lived in Cambodia for nine years. And she just came and she's seen some of my videos and I gave her, my, gave her the booklet. Um, and then she just did meditation. I didn't meditate with her. I came upstairs and did my, because I do walking. She didn't want to do walking. So, uh, but it'd be nice if we could have a group here, uh, here as well. I think probably what we do is just have people come up here at nine. If someone wants to hear the Dhamma, they can come at nine, come sit up with us here. And you know, For now, anyway. We're looking to get a bigger place. So. Anyway, so these seven, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, take, take them seriously. That's another thing is often people don't take the Buddha too seriously or they... You know, these, these talks about people who spit on Buddha images and burn them and uh, you know, just treat them like rubbish, thinking that's not the real Buddha. But there's something to it, you know. 
you don't take the Buddha images seriously, what does that say about how you feel about the Buddha? Yeah, people say it's just an image and the Buddha is in whatever, but there's something to images. They represent something. In ancient times, they wouldn't even make images because they revered the Buddha, it seems, because they revered the Buddha so much. So when we have these images, we try to treat them quite carefully because we respect the Buddha so much. If you don't, it, it, I mean, well, this is the thing, is the Dhamma won't last because there's no figure, there's no, you know, there's none of this sort of religious feeling that keeps things together, the, the sense of urgency, the sense of zeal and, and interest that's so powerful in any religion. It could be for, for the purposes of evil, it could be for the purposes of good, but it's a power. If you don't take these things seriously or don't appreciate them, don't revere them, um, very hard to keep going. You know, we talk about secular Buddhism. Yeah, it's fine, but it's hard to get that feeling and appreciation, you know. Part of religion is the feeling, the uh, sense of, of reverence, appreciation, not just taking something clinically in terms of, yes, this helps me relieve stress, but yes, this is the teaching of the perfectly enlightened Buddha. You know, it carries a lot more weight in that sense. And then the training, concentration, uh, apamada, which is vigilance or sobriety, and hospitality. So we have to take the training seriously, both study and practice. We have to take concentration. We have to remember to try and be concentrated. Remember and practice, not just study. And be mindful. Apamada actually being sober, it's it's the Buddha said it's a synonym for being mindful. So this really means using mindfulness, seeing things clearly as they are, grasping things as they are, and remembering things as they are. And finally we have to be hospitable. So we have to welcome people to join, not just practicing for ourselves, but providing the opportunity and being friendly and welcoming. Uh, don't just shy away and, and say, oh, I'm not a teacher, I can't teach you the Dhamma. Anyone can teach. You teach how you were taught, pass it on. doesn't mean you have to answer all of their questions and problems and give them advice. It just means you have to explain to them how to do meditation, which is quite simple. And just reassure them that it has benefits, and if they try it, they will see the benefits for themselves. That's all you need to do. So, well, that's the Dhamma for tonight. You guys can go. And Larry has a question. Well, noting posture, movements, intentions, I might lapse into contemplating death or contemplating my good fortune. 
Then I realize I'm contemplating and not noting. How should one balance the process of noting and the process of wholesome contemplation? Um, well, if you if you are if that thought arises, that's fine. You can do both. You just have the thought, and then you say thinking, thinking. Or if you feel happy, you can say happy, happy. Um, I mean, the thought arises of its on, on its own. We're just trying to be mindful of it because even wholesomeness can um, can be caught up in delusion. Not directly, but you, know, you can you can become unwholesome about your wholesomeness if you start to get attached to it, attached to the idea of it anyway. I mean, it, it won't lead to to freedom, so. Uh, you can switch back and forth uh, for the death one, especially. You know, if you if you if you're mindful of death, that's a useful meditation. It's good to give you the impetus to practice. It gives you this religious feeling, sangwega we call it. Um, so that's mindful. It's a different meditation. It's useful to practice that, and then go back to practicing mindfulness. As far as the um, the contemplation of good fortune. Um, be careful of that because it can slip into complacency. You know, the God, the angels think like that. They think everything. They think they're they're um, you know, they've got some some safe safety or so on. Hey, probably you're not having that problem, but you have to be careful about that. I'm not convinced that it's wholesome. Um, you talk about contentment. There's something in there that's probably associated with contentment. But appreciation is a lot like liking, you know, and clinging. Because things can change at any time, right? Your safety is, is completely impermanent. So it's an illusion. There is no safety in the samsara. Anything, everything can can leave you in the moment. So, in what way is it safe? In the end, it's all just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. I'd be continuing the series on the Dhammapada. Hmm, you know, the, it's probably the only reason I continue them is because people ask me the questions like this, because I always think, oh well, maybe nobody wants them anymore. I haven't heard. <laughs> Nobody's asked about them in a while, so probably people are sick of them. Uh, yeah, I was busy with finals, but it's kind of just, well, now I'm not. So, sure, I can start up the Dhammapada series again. I mean, not, it's not that I stopped. I can continue it, you know. Do more Dhammapada if people want it. How is it that we bow down to and revere the meditation practice? I mean, the practice itself. Should we hold the triple gem or the practice in mind for reverence? 
Well, I don't think you need to hold anything in mind for reverence. It's just taking it seriously, really. Um, I mean, you can do meditations on the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, obviously. But that's not, I don't think, what the Buddha is saying. He's just, if they don't, if they don't respect, because there's a lot of disrespect, you know, disrespect for, for the Sangha, for example. Monks get a lot of disrespect in, uh, all over. You know, teachers get a lot of disrespect. Not a lot, not mostly, mostly respect, but there's always people who have very little respect. And the point is, well, that is harmful to the, you know, it, it's, you could say you know, respect has to be earned, sure, fine. But there's something about being respectful. If you don't you know, want to practice, you don't have to come practice. But if something, if, if someone's teaching, you know, there's a lot of, and then there's disrespect to the Buddha, uh, disrespect to the Dhamma. Um, you know, not taking it seriously. Uh, disrespect, and not, not necessarily disrespect, right? But not taking the practice seriously. You know, people who do walking meditation, talking on the phone, or. Um, and it's not even not even how disrespectful that is. It's just, you know, if you don't take it seriously, you're not going to get any results. So the question, if you do an hour of meditation, how much are you really meditating? Are you really taking it seriously? Are you, do you respect? And it's not respect in terms of disrespect. It's like, do you appreciate? That's the best. Do you appreciate? Garu means heavy, so it's like taking seriously, seeing it as a weighty thing. Or do you see it? Do you take it lightly, right? It's the opposite of taking something lightly. If you take meditation lightly, it's hard, you won't get the results. And if you don't get the results, Buddhism will pass away. But yeah, if you want to do this, if you want to pay respect, like there's a, there's a quick chant that we do. We do it in the opening ceremony, so I often do it as a, as a kind of like a mantra, really. Um, we pay respect to the five things, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, the meditation practice, and the teacher who, who, who offers the meditation practice. Namami buddhang gunasagarantang gunasagarantang Namami Dhammang Muniraja Desitang, Namami Sankhang Muniraja Savakang, Namami Kamatanang Nibbana Dikamupayang, Namami Kamatana Dayakacharyang Nibbana Magudesakang, Sabangdo Sankhamantuno. The last part, Sabangdo Sang for all faults, for all faults, Kamantuno, may they forgive us. May they forgive us all discretions, you know, any uh, wrongdoing. Uh, it's in the opening ceremony. I'm not sure where you get the opening ceremony. I think it's in our... Hmm, where is the opening ceremony? Maybe it's not even online. But it might be taken from the Visuddhimagga. A lot of that is taken from the Visuddhimagga. Eh, maybe not.
Hmm. Yeah, respect for the five. It's what we do before we start the minute. It's the first thing we do in the in the opening ceremony. Um, almost the first thing, first big thing. No, no, this is the first thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's how we start the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony. So I don't do ceremonies here, uh, not yet anyway. But normally we'd have a ceremony where we go through all of this in Pali. It's quite nice. A kind of... Uh, the thing you take, it should take it seriously. No, if we were to take it seriously, we probably should do the ceremonies. But you know, in the West, sometimes again, people don't take it seriously enough. It's hard to push that on them. On them, it's not entirely necessary. It doesn't mean you do a ceremony. That's the thing. It's just a ceremony. But something to consider once we get established here. Maybe I can teach Michael because. Another thing is you need two people. I I do part, but I need a lay person to lead the meditators. I need someone to lead the meditators. I'll teach Michael how to do it someday, if he sticks around. Maybe he'll become a monk. If he does, I get to give him the name Mogaraja again. Because it's the closest thing to Michael, right? So our last Michael got the name Mogaraja. And boy, did that cause a stir. No, the Sri Lankan people said they, they didn't want to bow down to it because the word moga means useless or bad or stupid. But Mogaraja was one of the Buddha's chief disciples, one of the 80 great disciples. It's a shame, really. Yeah, I have the five reverences somewhere. Uh, not sure where, but probably buried away somewhere in my documents folder. You copy them. Anyway, that's all for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night. <laughs>